Hi, everybody, and welcome to yet another edition of Volley. Seth, are you out there? I'm here. How are you? I'm very good. How are you doing? I'm doing great. It's uh, end of the week, recording this one on a Friday. Yes. Uh, so I don't know if people hear it over the weekend, but uh, looking forward to the weekend. Ready for it. Yeah, it's fall now, too, as of yesterday, so I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to the uh, changing season. Yeah, I saw something on Twitter today. Some guy posted about uh, his tips to get great fall photographs, and I kind of quoted that out and said, number one, live in New England. So Yeah, you got to come visit me. I know. Yeah, well, oddly, we have almost no colored leaves yet because I think it has something to do with the hot, dry summer that we have had. And that affects the foliage, but um, they're starting to turn a little. So hopefully, in a couple weeks, it'll be really, really beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Yippers. So, lots going on. One thing I wanted to talk about, and I know I shared this article with you, and I think it's super interesting. It was um, in the Wall Street Journal uh, last week, maybe, written by a senior fellow at the Brookings Brookings Institution. His name's Mark Murrow. Um, And it's about this phenomenon um, about this geographic spread of technology jobs right now. You know, we always think about the primary geos where all of the tech innovation is taking place and the majority of the major tech companies and the VC money all live, think Silicon Valley, think Boston, think New York City, think Washington, D.C. Those are kind of the hubs, San Jose, obviously. We, he drilled down and did some analysis, and it's it's quite interesting that. And his description of this is that IT jobs, tech jobs, and really just the industry in general is also moving out beyond these hubs and into what he calls flyover country, which is basically the rest of the country. So think secondary type cities um, throughout the Midwest and all over the South, etc. Uh, and what's interesting about that is he does an analysis about you know, what types of jobs are most prevalent in those areas. And he uses the federal the system, the NAICS system, which you can talk a little bit more about, but it's how we categorize uh, jobs in this country. And one of the standouts in terms of employment is what, uh, is what NAICS describes as the computer systems design industry. And that's what, it's a big focus on software development, system designs, a lot of consulting. And if you think about it, that's a lot of what the channel does in terms of doing implementation and integration work, and he refers to that. So that's, this is what piqued my interest in the article, not just the fact that we're spreading out geographically, which I think is a great thing. So middle America and everywhere else is going to um, enjoy uh, the fruits of the IT industry, which I think is great, and get it out of all the hubs uh, for now. But also the fact that uh, you know a burgeoning part of the workforce for IT is doing that um, that work that is not developing necessarily the product, but implementing and integrating it now at a low at a you know at a smaller level that's you know small IT channel firms at a larger level those are integrators obviously uh, that work with enterprises but it's a fascinating article I know you read it too what did you think well I was happy to see that things are happening in flyover country here where I live um, we're you know stuck in the middle and it's it's nice to know that not everything's happening on the coasts uh, but I, I agree with you that it's it's nice to dive down into this and maybe start to talk about you know why some of this is happening or what the implications are. And you mentioned the the NAICS code. The one that he is drilling in on here is this computer systems design industry, which is one specific NAICS code, uh, and that's the 
North American industry classification system, one of um, several systems that exist in trying to classify different jobs that exist in, in different industries, and we can track the growth and, um, and, and jobs in, in all of these things. One issue with some of these codes is that they've tried to develop over time, and, and especially here with technology, computing technology, as it's changing so drastically, we think that the codes are having a little bit of, of trouble keeping up, uh, and, and he drills on, on this one specific one, and there are a few others in there that I think would apply to potentially the channel um, and also to other IT professionals uh, and other IT companies doing things. One in particular is is in a completely different region of, of the NAICS definition, and that's the data centers and, and, and the hosting of information, and certainly there are a lot of channel firms doing that. Uh, and in fact, a lot of places where data centers are might also be outside of those hubs where uh, creation is happening um, right. because data centers might tend to live somewhere where they have tax benefits or where the climate is more conducive. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's probably really just confirming his argument and, and giving additional weight to it. Um, so yeah, when I when I looked at this, I, I thought a lot about the channel and about all the different members that we have that are doing things throughout the country. And, and the reason that so many of them are active is kind of what we talked about um, last time or the time before with the idea that the technology industry is starting to kind of bleed into other industries. And, and every company is becoming a technology-driven company. Every project and initiative is becoming a technology project. And so as every company is doing this more and more, and I think this was the main thrust of his article, you're going to start seeing it outside of the hubs. You're going to start seeing it anywhere that there's business. And the fact that technology doesn't really require uh, a natural resource to to consume or to be used the most effectively really helps with that spread. Um, and, And so I think it's one really positive thing that we have going for the IT industry such as it still exists is that you can kind of do it anywhere and and you can apply it to places that maybe haven't had it before, especially as new models like cloud mobility are starting to come into play. Right. No, I I make the analogy of um, uh, being a remote worker works from home. That's me. I can do it anywhere. So I could move to any city or town, you know, as long as we had broadband and bandwidth. Uh, and and do the job anywhere. I think this is a good sign. You know, you know our membership. We have a lot of members who are you know in Oklahoma and Iowa and all over the place. I think it's it's heartening to see that we you know that there's great job prospects potentially in the IT industry and in other industries working in technology within that particular industry, whatever vertical it might be, that are outside of the scope of you know the major hubs that we were talking about. And I think that your point about being a remote worker is is the other main thing that he didn't touch on quite as much, but that we discuss quite a bit uh, here inside CompTIA, both because of the way that we've got our workforce spread around and because of uh, the, the impact on workforce in general. And as much as we try to talk about the changing workforce, this is one of them. And And so even if you've got these six hubs that he talks about where a lot of the idea generation is happening and there's a lot of local collaboration and and products are getting developed, even those areas are going to tap out of their local resource and they're going to want to spread out for multiple reasons, whether it's cost or whether it's keeping product development moving uh, around the clock or whether it's just getting some diversity, you know, of thought in. 
they want to be able to reach out and, and find the best talent wherever it might be. And so I think that the, the ability of people to, to do that uh, and to contribute uh, is, is definitely a positive thing. Now, there's kind of two sides to that coin. Um, one is you're, you're kind of able to do it, but you, you also have to sort of choose the, the right part of the IT industry. You know, if you want to be a server administrator for somebody and they've got a big data center, that's a little trickier to do remotely. If you're doing software development, if you're doing you know, knowledge-based work or whatever, then, then you can do it. Uh, and so I think that both of these things are contributing because even if you're wanting to do that hardware-based work, this hardware is starting to pop up more and more uh, and, and you've got more of a chance to do it. So it's really interesting and it's going to be interesting to see how businesses in general respond to this and and how they start taking the the ability to pop up anywhere uh, and what kind of things they put in place to ensure that their workforce stays connected, that their workforce is productive and uh, able to do some of that innovation that might have happened in in a local space before when people were getting together and talking. Um, But how can you use social media types of tools or other communications type of tools to, to keep the flow going now? Yeah, I mean, just from a pure economic standpoint for businesses, it makes a lot of sense. Um, you can locate in an area that's not the coast, where it's not super expensive and prohibitively taxed. Uh, and then you can have employees who are remote and really can operate with, like you said, social media collaboration tools and a laptop, and they're good to go. And the overhead there is is so much less than than an office space would be, for instance. So uh, it's, you know, we live in interesting times, right? We do. So um, part of those interesting times and part of the reason that so much of this is enabled is cloud computing, which we've talked about on this podcast probably almost every time that we've gotten together and talked. But we have a new study coming out. Um, it should be getting posted sometime today or maybe on Monday. So it should be on CompTIA's website very soon. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's one of those that anyone can read. If you register with CompTIA, it's not behind our membership firewall. And anyone could grab this uh, cloud report and read it. It's a little bit different than the cloud reports that we've done before. You and I have worked on cloud reports together for the past several iterations that we've done. And on this one... I took most of the end user stuff and turned that into its own report, and then you folded the channel stuff into um, your upcoming state of the channel report. Uh, and so this cloud one is just the end user side. It's just the demand. It's what businesses are trying to do with cloud. And we saw some interesting stuff in it. Uh, and I think you saw something similar on your side. But when the data first came back, I'm looking at it, and you typically want to see the data kind of following the trends that you've seen before confirming some of the, the themes and the ideas that you've built. And it seemed like across the board, the data was taking a step back for, for end users, placing themselves on an adoption curve. They were placing themselves in earlier stages. Uh, when we talked about doing secondary migrations, there were fewer companies reporting that. And in general, it just looked like you know momentum had stopped or reversed and uh, looked at it for quite a while. You and I talked about it. Uh, we talked about it internally. I talked with a few people uh, on the outside to get their perspective. And what we decided, what, what it seems like is happening here is people are beginning to appreciate the definitions around cloud systems a little bit more. Um, and actually, in our previous study in 2014, we had kind of pointed to this. You know, we said everyone's getting tired of talking about definitions. And 
for the time being, maybe that's okay. That if, if you've got a customer that wants a certain system and, and he's calling it a cloud system and you're actually providing something that isn't technically a cloud system, it doesn't matter as long as you're meeting the customer's need. But at some point down the road, that customer might say, hey, I need a system that grows automatically or I need a system that I can get into and spin up virtual instances on my own. And if you've only been providing like hosted machines up to that point and it's kind of in the traditional hosted environment or virtualized data center, you might not be ready to do that. And I think now we're seeing people appreciate those details more and start to get on the same page when they are having cloud discussions. Yeah, we saw, I mean, I had the same sort of aha moment when my data came back for the state of the, state of the channel, the cloud section of that, um, because it was exactly like yours. There was a almost a reversal. I hate to use that strong of a word, but there's some pretty significant um, changes in the data um, from the 2014 study um, among channel firms. And I think we can attribute that not to pull back on cloud, oh, we're not doing cloud, because you know you can point to any Gartner report or any other industry report, and we see cloud is going gangbusters, and it's going to continue to grow. And the channel has embraced it. I think we've seen you know a, a significant shift from five years ago when you know the, the channel is figuring things out. However, in that figuring things out is when they figure out that there's some warts here, there's some difficulties here. Maybe we jumped into this market a little bit too fast and we should have just gone down this lane and not five different lanes all at the same time. You know, so I, I don't want to do a data dump here, but I think this one statistic should, should, it should be shared with everybody. But um, when asked, this is channel respondents, when asked uh, what they thought the cloud's impact has been on the channel specifically. In 2014, 63% of respondents said that it has been extremely positive. On this year's study, so two years later, it's that number has dropped to 37%. That's, in, in our world, Seth, that's a big, big change, right? Yep. So, you know, have uh, have this many channel firms abandoned their cloud um, portfolios or any of the activities that they're trying to do? I don't believe so. No. I think what they're finding is they've rolled their sleeves up, they've stopped talking about definitions and started talking, as you said, talking about the real work at hand and couple that with end users who are starting to go through the same reality check process with cloud and maybe things just aren't quite as neat and tidy for them anymore. And that's all that this is reflective of. It's not that they're abandoning their cloud efforts. That's that's the way I see it. I agree with you that I don't like the term reversal um, because I don't think that's reflective of what we're seeing. I like your term reality check, and you had mentioned this before. We, we actually presented this data last week at Channel Directions, and this was one of our, our big themes there was that we're in this reality check phase and a lot of the data reflects that. I, I think before we had data that showed enthusiasm but didn't necessarily match what we felt like we were seeing in the market when we were talking to people or reading other stories about what companies are doing with cloud. Uh, and for my study, one a good example would be the types of applications that companies are running in the cloud. Uh, so this would be SaaS, which uh, I think we definitely see and other firms see as being the most popular form of cloud today as companies are going out and procuring a piece of software rather than having to deal with packaged software that gets installed and maintained and all that. Uh, and so we've got a lot of companies pursuing SaaS applications. And two years ago, the number three most popular SaaS application was analytics and business intelligence, or at least that's what companies were telling us. 
And on the one hand, there was definitely a lot going on in that space, and you had companies pursuing that more and more because the barriers to entry were a little bit lower, and and you could get your hands on some sophisticated analytics software in the cloud and, and do something with it. On the other hand, it seemed a little strange because our research into data management showed that not that many companies were all that sophisticated in their data practices. And so all of a sudden, you've got this many companies jumping into SaaS analytics, maybe doesn't match up. Now this year, that number's dropped dramatically. And and SaaS analytics is kind of somewhere in the middle of the pack. And the top three SaaS packages that we see are email, web presence, and business productivity which completely tracks with, I think, what we what we hear and what we experience. It's, I think, a little bit easier for companies to either move those systems or um, into the cloud or just procure new systems that are that are SaaS based um, around those those areas. Uh, and the other things definitely are in the market now. And you definitely have a lot more types of software that companies can get their hands on because the cost structure has changed and companies are able to offer these SaaS products um, at a at a more compelling price point for a lot of companies, but not that many companies have actually gotten to the point of adopting them and putting them into their workflow, but it's coming. Um, so, so I think that reality check is a really good way to put it. Yeah, I, I think so too. And I, I think um, I'm looking at some of my data here. I think from a channel perspective, we, we're seeing some gains here in two different areas is what I'm looking at now. So so last year you talked about the types of applications that end users are, are using in the cloud, are using today with respect to cloud. I thought data analytics sounded a little bit out there because I do think there's an element of biting off more than you can chew. And I think that the channel does the same thing somewhat and that's what this whole reality check thing is. It's like, whoa, what, what, have we, uh, what have we gotten ourselves into? But one of the more encouraging things that I'm looking at now is expectations for growth, revenue growth going forward. In past years for my state of the channel study, security has always been the number one answer there. That's where we're going to make our buck. Uh, you know, that's the highest growth area. This year it was cloud infrastructure. It knocked security off the off the top of the list. Um, security is number two, mind you, and not by not by far. Um, however, I thought that was encouraging. I think that that is an interesting thing that the channel is thinking about um, cloud from an infrastructure and IAS perspective and not only from a SaaS perspective. SaaS is on the list too. Um, but one of the things I wanted to highlight is there's just this sort of like Jekyll and Hyde attitude about cloud and we talked about this when we did our presentation last week. It's like is cloud a good thing or a bad thing for us? And it's almost equal when we ask channel firms you know, what they think about cloud in terms of being optimistic for the channel's future or pessimistic, and it's almost an even split. You know, a third, you know, four out of ten think it's a, a, a the opportunity around cloud is one of the main reasons, if not the reason, to be optimistic about the channel's future. And that's very specific to the channel, and yet another three in ten believe the exact opposite. So it's a little bit of a conundrum, and I think you and I are going to be talking about this for a long time because. Well, I see positivity. I also see negativity, and and I think that's part of this whole reality check process that we're going through right now. I wonder if some of the the split on that comes from not fully understanding what the business model ought to be going forward, and and what the relationship between IT, whether it's a third party and a channel firm or an internal IT function, and the business should be, because. If, if you're thinking, you know, is cloud a good thing to 
resell or is cloud a good thing to implement well maybe um, and, and maybe there are some opportunities to do that and and one piece at a time one application at a time you can have a discussion about whether it makes sense to be cloud or on-premise and most of that might go towards cloud and and so as a transitional thing that that could be good but the the bigger question is is cloud a good thing for driving value-added services? Uh, and, and I think this is where both the channel and some internal IT departments struggle in, in trying to figure out what is that value-added service that I'm that I'm building now. And I, I think the channel has a little bit of a leg up here because that's what they've done for a long time. They've tried to do value-added services, but it can't be around just procurement or implementation anymore. Um, up to this point, people haven't had the technical savvy to do their own procurement. And implementation is kind of just part and parcel of being in IT. Like that's, that's the standard. It comes with the job, right? Right. Now it has to be, what's, what's the value? Are, are you creating something using other components that allows the business to drive forward. Uh, and I, I've been thinking about this quite a bit, even since wrapping the study and starting to get into some of the post-production that we do around it. What are you creating using the components that are available to you? Uh, and so it's interesting to hear the channel say infrastructure as a service, that that will be um, a, a big opportunity going forward. And I wonder if they're thinking that it's an opportunity for like resale and procurement and implementation, or if they're thinking it's an opportunity for them to use infrastructure as a service to build something that they've never built before. Well, I hope it's the latter, and I, I can't answer that definitively. But I think that you know we talk we talk a lot lately about channel firms, you know, creating their own IP and creating their own you know repeatable process or whatever it happens to be that's something that they own and it isn't coming from a manufacturer or a vendor and perhaps it, perhaps as you said you know the second item here is that if they're going to be creating their own value add out of the infrastructure as a service that would allow them to do that now one of the downsides though of um, not figuring this out is we asked our channel firms you know what how cloud has impacted their customer relationships and we saw a drop in whether that's strengthened and, 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 and it's increasingly weakened their customer relationships. Not dramatically, but some percentage point differences between the 2014 study and the 2016. And I think what's going on there is, and this goes to your point about having to have a value add, because if you don't, what's happening is they're seeing some customers who are going completely self-service with their cloud solutions. So they're, you know, they're, they've got SaaS apps running in whatever line of business department they happen to to use it in and they're finding at least at the outset that they're not needing a third-party provider now that's going to go away as they use more cloud solutions realize this complexity and trying to integrate them all and also the big giant security um, issue that they have to deal with as well as some compliance issues but I'm think I think what we're seeing right now is end users are getting a little more savvy about cloud hey I can do this on my own and I think we're going to see a boomerang effect that eventually the channel's got to play that role where their, their value add is helping their customers figure out how to manage all of these applications, manage the infrastructure, um, how to bill for it, how to pay for it, all of those questions that they do today with on-premise type situations that they'll be doing with cloud. So I think that the, the value add is extremely important. It's not about reselling the SaaS application. The complexity is growing, and 
the the scope of what businesses are trying to do is getting larger and and that means that the place where you add value has always been you know at that upper tier where you're adding value because you've got specific knowledge around around something and that space is kind of moving up the stack now um and it's not just around some of the simple pieces because again people are able to do that but we are now able to create much more complex and complicated systems uh and and that opens up new doors for the business uh and so finding that spot for the value uh is is a big deal right well it uh it'll take some time one of one of the nice things i think about the data aside from the fact that your data matches mine and so we're able to come up with uh a consistent story between yeah, these data sets otherwise we would have no story at all. right right we'd, <laughs> we'd still be scratching our heads um but the, the other nice thing is i think we've been saying for a while that this isn't going to be a quick thing and there's this feeling around technology that the pace is picking up really quickly, but when it comes to some of these major shifts, the major shifts only come around every so often, uh, and then it takes time for those to mature and for companies to kind of get all the value out of them. So I think that seeing a little bit of reality check here, a little bit of tempering of enthusiasm uh, really just matches that point and, and goes to prove that we're probably going to be talking about cloud for quite a bit of time to come. So we better start liking it a lot, right? It's going to be our topic of conversation. I agree with you, though. I think that I think cloud actually had a rapid, rapid entry to the market, and people started adopting it relatively rapidly, not necessarily knowing what to do with it or how to how to work with it or what it is. Again, we go back to definitions. I, and I think you're right that we've kind of ditched the whole. Uh, focus on worrying about definitions, and I think rightly so. Let's just talk about the practical realities of what we're doing as opposed to how we're going to, the nomenclature around it, if you will. But um, yeah, I think we're going to be talking about cloud for, for the foreseeable future. Yeah. Well, like I said, that uh, the new cloud study should be out uh, today or early next week, so please check that out when you get a chance. Yeah, and I'm, I'm going to give a little plug here for State of the Channel because that's going to be coming out in uh, mid-October. It's the sixth version of this study that we've done. Uh, we've got some, again, in addition to this cloud cloud data, we've got some very interesting data on, um, on the health of the channel and on vendor relationships that are going on in the channel. And I think what you'll find some some big changes from just a few years ago, especially in the vendor relations uh, area, and that has a lot to do with cloud, too. So it seems like everything, all it all goes back to cloud at some point, but be, uh, be on the lookout for that in mid-October. Nice. Yeah. Well, any plans for the weekend? Mm, my daughter's going to the homecoming dance, so I think I'm kind of stuck around while she goes and does that. How mm. about you? Um, got soccer and cross country and uh, not too much else. Maybe maybe get out and see some of the fall stuff and you know get to an orchard or something. Good. Always, yeah, I like to try to do that. So we'll see. All right. Well, listen. Have a good weekend. Yeah, you too. And we'll talk to you next time. All right. Thanks for joining. Bye bye.